A Focus Summary of Part 1, Chapters 4 and 5 of Silas Marner Riding to the hunt the next morning, Dunstan Cass passed by the stone pit, next to which stood the cottage inhabited by Silas Marner. As he approached the spot, it occurred to Dunstan that the old weaver had a great deal of money, and that he might suggest to Godfrey that he frightened Silas into lending it to him. This seemed like such an easy and agreeable idea that he almost turned home. But he went on, because he didn't want to give Godfrey the pleasure of being able to keep his horse, and he didn't want to miss the opportunity to swindle some buyer for it. Meeting Bryce and Keating, he boasted to them that Wildfire was his now, claiming Godfrey had had to turn him over to settle an account. He said he meant to keep the horse, even though he'd been offered a hundred and fifty for him. Bryce, seeing through his scheme, said he'd never heard of a man who didn't want to sell his horse being offered twice what it was worth. In the end, Bryce bought Wildfire for a hundred and twenty. It occurred to Dunstan that he ought to give up the day's hunting, but confident in his luck and inspirited by brandy, he rode anyway, took one fence too many, and got his horse killed on a hedge stake. Seeing it was all over with Wildfire, Dunsey took consolation in the fact that there were no witnesses to his fall. He decided to walk to Batherley, rent a horse there, and ride home. He didn't worry about facing Godfrey, now that he had the resource of Marner's money in mind. Realizing he had not enough money to rent a horse at Batherley, and eager to put this new plan in motion, he decided instead to walk home. He buttoned up his coat, twisted the lash of his hunting whip around his wrist, and set off into the gathering mist. The whip was one Dunstan had borrowed from his brother, without permission, for it had a gold handle, and people wouldn't be able to see that the name Godfrey Cass was carved in it. The mist, which he was grateful helped to screen his pitiable figure from sight, now began to hide the ruts into which his feet might slip, and he had to guide his steps by dragging the whip. To his surprise, he came upon gleams of light, which he guessed to proceed from Silas Marner's cottage. He had thought about the cottage and the money in it continuously on his walk. Having decided that Marner would have to be frightened into lending the money, and that he, rather than Godfrey, was the man for that job, he saw no reason to delay the conversation. Further, he was tired of feeling his way through the fog, and Silas might have a lantern. He made his way cautiously to the door and knocked. There was no response, so after knocking more loudly, jiggling the latch string, and discovering that the door was unfastened, he went in. Marner was not there. There was a fire in the hearth, with a bit of pork suspended from a string roasting over it. Dunstan wondered where Silas might be, and thought to himself that perhaps, given the conditions he himself had just travelled, Silas might have gone out for fuel and slipped into the stone pit. This prompted a new series of reflections, that ended with him wondering who would know if the money were taken away. He began searching all the expected hiding places, and very quickly found the spot with the loose bricks beneath Silas's loom. Discovering the leathern bags beneath them, he took them, replaced the bricks, and with a sense of dread rose to his feet and hastened into the darkness. When Dunstan left the cottage, 
Silas Marner was not more than a hundred yards away. He approached the cottage with a mind at ease, despite his having left his house more defenseless than usual. Nothing in Marner's monotonous life kept alive in him the idea of the unexpected and changeful. He was thinking only of his supper, the little bit of pork given to him by Priscilla Lameter. Roast meat was an indulgence he enjoyed only when it was made a present to him, and he always enjoyed it at supper, that time of revelry when his heart warmed over his gold. Earlier that evening, Silas had remembered he needed a piece of twine for the next day's work at his loom, and not wanting to delay the errand till morning, he decided to set out right away, in spite of the nasty fog. The ingenious contraption he had rigged to roast his supper prevented him from locking the latch, but he felt no anxiety about leaving his cottage unfortified. He entered the hut, and to his short-sighted eyes everything was just as he had left it. As he crossed the floor, he trod unknowingly over Dunstan's footprints in the sand. As soon as he was warm, he felt it would be too long to wait till his supper was ready to draw out his gold, and he moved unsuspectingly to its place beneath the loom. When he removed the bricks and saw the empty hole, his first response was terror, and a desperation to end the terror. Then he went through stages of denial and disbelief, feeling more carefully around the hole, lest he had somehow missed it, entertaining the impossibility that he had put it somewhere else and forgotten it, searching every corner of his room and then searching all the same spots again, and finally looking round at the table, hoping against all reason that it was there and had been there all the time. Then he put his trembling hands against his head and let out a scream that relieved him from the maddening pressure of the truth. He felt some consolation when the thought of a thief occurred to him. A thief could be apprehended and made to restore his gold. He reflected with incomprehension about when the thief might have come, and began to feel as if it was taken by some other cruel power that no hands could reach. He shrank from this vaguer dread, and searched his mind for past encounters that might give him grounds for suspicion. He settled on Jem Rodney as the culprit, and he resolved to go into town, make his loss known, and have the great people in the village force Jem to deliver up the stolen money. He rushed out into the rain and ran toward the rainbow, where he would find the powers and dignities of Ravelow. Arriving, he lifted the latch and found there the less lofty customers of the house, since the more select society were all at Mrs. Osgood's birthday dance, as Godfrey Cass was.